Awesome. All right. Well, Adam, hey, thank you again for joining us here on Labor Pains. Um, if you wouldn't mind, just can you remind everybody who you are, who you're with, and what you're doing? Yeah. So I'm Adam Shakoff coming at you from Arlington, Virginia. I am the current chair of the Young Democrats of America Labor Caucus and the former chair of the Virginia Young Democrats Labor Caucus. Uh, for the past couple of years, I've been doing opposition research for Democratic candidates uh, in the 2020 cycle is with American Bridge uh, Super PAC. And then in the 2022 cycle, I was with the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, DCCC, which does, uh, which oversees the House races for Democrats. And when I was there, I also played a lead role in unionizing the DTRIP, but we'll get into that later. Uh, and right now I am, I do uh, provide research and analysis for labor unions engaged in organizing and bargaining campaigns. So, <laughs> that's very exciting. There's a lot going on there. I'm, I'm sorry, excited. Sorry to if I just tell you to do with all that. I know that's a lot. Um, you know, just a reminder for maybe folks that might be newer to the labor space than maybe you. Um, remind me, you know, what the heck do the young Democrat? First of all, how young do you have to be to be a young Democrat? What's what's the ruling on that these days? Am I allowed in? Well, if you're under 36, you're allowed in. I just turned 36 in June. That's so that's so unfair. I can't I can't believe it. I'm I'm out. Darn it. Oh well. No worries. Um. So if you're under 36, you're in, and you're you're hanging out with the young Democrats of America. And tell me, you know, Adam, the Labor Caucus. What what's that about? Why why does that exist? And 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 what's their role within the Young Democrats of America? Yeah. So with the Labor Caucus, whether it's on the state or national level, it's designed. To, it's so its primary purpose is to provide is to create links between the Democrat Party, especially young Democrats, and the labor movement. Because as we've seen, particularly over the past couple of years, there has been an upsurge in interest among young people, especially young progressives, in the labor movement because we realized the central role they play in uh, ensuring a healthy democracy. And a, and a health in a, a health, healthy political environment. And so, for many young Democrats, many of them, you know, uh, I mean, it depends on what part of the country they come from, but many of them do not come from labor families or labor backgrounds, but they're very passionate about labor. So, our job is to basically try to connect them from the young Democrats into that labor space, so they know, uh, you know, they know about their rights at work, they know about how to get involved in the labor movement, and they can really take things from there with us having their back. I, I love that. And you mentioned there uh, an idea that I think you and I talked about a little bit before we, we got together today, and that's the idea of coming from a labor family. I love that you used that phrase. Um, from you know, from my perspective, I did come from a union household and I didn't really understand anything about it growing up. It made mm -hmm. it made no sense to me and uh, you know, both my uh, both my mom and dad, they're union firefighters, uh, still are. Mm -hmm. They collect a very healthy and generous pension today that allows them to pay their bills because they're in a union. Um, yep. I would still argue that they didn't understand it when it was happening because a lot of the, the fights had already been won and they got to go in when things were pretty good. Um, you and I talked about your family's background in, yes. in labor. So since you sort of mentioned that, can I ask you a little more uh, sure. about that? Sure. Well, so my grandparents and great-grandparents were really active in the Jewish labor movement in the United States and Canada, where my dad's from. Uh, they were like really active in Jewish labor organizations, whether it was on my mom's side with the Workmen's Circle or Jewish Labor Bund, or on my dad's side with uh, uh, 
Achtut Avodah, which in Hebrew means like labor unity. Basically, they were groups that were designed to uh, bring Jews together who were in the labor movement to fight for their rights, both as workers and as Jews. And for me, that has really had a profound impact on my life, even though like my, it kind of skipped a generation, my parents were really involved in the labor movement. But growing up, it was that I was sort of taught that like really everything that I had in life was due to the previous struggles and victories won by labor activists past, particularly those in my family. And so it was, you know, like the message was, you know, thank God you don't have to, you know, work in hazardous conditions like, you know, your anxiety did in, you know, in the fur and leather workers or, you know, like your uh, great grandfather did in, uh, you know, as a custodian and carpenter. However, growing up, at least in particularly like in the height of coming of age, like in the economic crisis of 2008, I sort of came to realize that many of the fights that they had fought and won were either those battles were either still not over or their victories and gains were being reversed. And so it was really up to us, the next generation, to pick up the torch that they had uh, that they had left on and to continue that fight so that our future generations can have at the very least the same things we did. And the same prospects for life and the same opportunities. I, I love that. And I love that that's part of your cultural identity and, and, and yeah. faith identity. I, I I mean, you know, I'm a Catholic, maybe not the best <laughs> one, um, but it seems to me that if you check out the book of Exodus, the uh, Jewish oh, yeah. people really went through a labor uh, issue with, um, you know, the Pharaoh. They really had some demands. And oh. uh, thankfully, Moses ran the bargaining unit and things ended up OK. But yeah. um, I'm actually glad you mentioned Exodus. Uh, there were uh, two things. One, I will admit, like, like I didn't really grow up like most observant Jew. In fact, like my wife's Catholic, and it actually, like, it was her sort of what she got from her identity as a Catholic and her spiritual fulfillment that really inspired me to really get in touch with my own Jewish identity, even though like I'm always really interested in Jewish history. But yesterday, I was listening to a podcast called "It's Seven Minute Torah." It is a Basically, it's like it goes into it's like it goes into like Torah passages from a very liberal Jewish perspective. And there was one, there was really one uh, thing in, in Exodus that they were talking about that really resonated with me as you know someone as a Jew involved in the labor movement. Now, one of the key tenets of Judaism is the rule of law. As you know, we Jews have laws for everything. You know, from how to eat, how to dress. Now, I mean, speaking as like a liberal Reconstructionist Jew, like. We believe that we, as people, as Jews, as people in the image of God, have the ability to update and uh, revise our laws to suit uh, modern circumstances. But the same, the central tenet that ultimately nobody, whether Pharaoh, Caesar, or Emperor, has the ability or right to escape accountability and to violate standards of basic morality is still there. That is like the central tenet of the Judaism's view of the rule of law. And so in Exodus, uh, they were talking about this one passage, uh, Tetzaveh. It describes, it describes God telling Moses about the garments that the high priest must wear. Hmm. And one of the commandments is the high priest must wear a heavy metal breastplate with 12 stones embedded into it. Each of the stones representing the uh, 12 tribes of Israel. And like the like at least the based on the commentary of that section, the 
the symbolism of, of that was that one, like wearing a heavy breastplate, someone who was like so high in the, it was like such, it was like such a leader in the community, both politically and spiritually. One, like having to wear that heavy breastplate was designed to sort of figuratively and perhaps literally keep them firmly on the ground. Like just because you're, you know, you're the leader does not mean you get to lord over everybody else. And the 12 stones, it symbolized that you, as someone invested with the powers of leadership, must govern with the interests of the people in mind, and that it is your job to get to sort of lead them on your backs to goodness, to their greatness, and not, you know, on the other on the other way around as it had been in Egypt, where like it was literally we the people were like lifting our, you know, the Pharaoh to greatness, essentially. To me, like that resonated, like that really spoke to me because it's like today we have those at the top, particularly those, you know, in like the point zero 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 one percent in corporate America who are figuratively and actually in the case of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, quite literally shooting themselves up, you know, so far off the earth that they can just look down and feel as if they have no accountability to the rest of us. And to me, it's the labor movement's job to fulfill that that you might say biblically inspired commandment to ensure that our leaders and that those with power Govern with the interests of the people in mind. So, sorry about, about the whole Torah rant. It's, I, I love that. Well, let's see how good of a Jew you are. If he was a priest, what tribe of Israel was he from? I, uh, I think they're all Levites. I think it, yes, I, yes. I, okay. I, I remember my my history correct from the Old Testament. They're all from the tribe of Levi. So you have to look that up for me. I'm just trying to demonstrate I'll that check. I'm a decent I'll, Catholic I'll, school student. <laughs> I'll talk to my rabbi. Okay, good. You make sure I'm right about that, because if I get my Old Testament wrong, I get very uh, upset. It's my favorite of the two, to be quite frank. <laughs> again, like I didn't grow up. Again, I didn't grow up. Like I didn't go to a Jewish day school. I was, you know, I was relatively not observant. That being said, like seeing my what my wife got from her Catholic identity, yeah, it really inspired me to sort of rediscover my own Jewish identity. So, well, they I'm they overlap a lot. Yeah. They, oh yes. At least traditionally, um, they do. I mean, like I said I. You know, I as a, if you're a good Catholic school student, and I got A's in religion, except when I got senioritis, you learn a lot about Jewish history. There, they, you, you don't have Catholic history without Jewish history. It's the foundation oh, yeah. of um, of the church. You know, so people people choose not to listen to that and and, and talk about that today. But um, your wife, you mentioned she goes to a good church. It's yes, one of our, yes, one of our favorites, Our Lady Queen of Peace. So we're gonna give Father Tim another shameless plug. Um, he's Father always. He, he is a mensch, and he's always talking about uh, the, the power of social justice. And you're right. I, I love that reference. You're going to have to send me the passage in Exodus that's from with the 12 stones and the garment or um, send it to me later, because I, I think that's absolutely right. And that sort of is a great segue into talking about your sort of real-life experience in this space where maybe it seemed like uh, you had some leaders who – you know, they're trying to do the right thing, but maybe they get misguided sometimes. Yes. And that's where people do need to stand up from the other uh, sides of, of, of the of life and maybe cause some change. Right. So can you tell me a little bit more about how that happened for you? Yeah. So I guess just to write some background again, like last cycle, I was at the I was a research analyst for the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, DCCC. And. You know, like it was one of the it's like after like my last job at, at the super PAC, it was unionized, but this one was not. And typically it had been even though all campaigns and PACs have been unionized, most party committees and party organs were not. 
And so like going in, I thought, well, you know, it's one cycle. Looks like, uh, you know, unions aren't really a thing in this uh, political space. You know, it, well, I did have like some, and like, well, I love working at the D-Trip and I love my, my supervisors and we believe, and I believed in the mission. There were still like things that I and a lot of my other coworkers thought, you know, could be improved. Like, I mean, when I first was uh, hired, I noticed like, again, I got like, I was paid slightly less than my last unionized job. And actually, before I go in, I should say that, like, this unionizing the D-Trip was really far from a solo effort. It was very much a collective effort. And so I'd like to, like, really make a shout-out to my coworkers, uh, Eve Zervinsky, Zach Dion, Reed Waxham, and uh, Ali McKeon, and the organizer from our union, uh, Teamsters Local 238, uh, Jesse Case, because, like, honestly, they deserve really, honestly, more credit than I do for making this happen. I, uh, it starts, like, this was still in the height of COVID, or it was, like, 2021, so not everyone really ha was, was totally vaccinated, so we're working very virtually, so a lot of this was sort of done online via Wicker, which is kind of like a, a it's kind of like Slack or Signal. I sent a message to my coworkers, my other fellow research analysts, saying, hey, I think, you know, given what happened with the DNC, I think we can really benefit from unionizing. I think that, you know, we really have a strong case to make given that we Democrats are you know, supposed to be the party of labor. We are, like, the D-Trip the is labor-funded. I think we can, you know, perhaps, like, make some, you know, well-meaning uh, adjustments to our pay and benefits. So, like, uh, a few months go by. I don't really hear anything back. And then suddenly one of the trackers, a tracker, like, they will... What's a tracker? Yeah, a tracker, they'll go around following candidates with, like, smartphones or cameras. Sounds like a stalker. Yeah, but they, they do a lot of hard work because, like, they have to, again, like, it's, like, they have to, like, it's, like, it's not a standard schedule. They have to uh, travel quite a lot. And so one of the trackers, uh, Ali uh, McKeon, reaches out to me and says, hey, I heard you're thinking of organizing a union. Like, I'm in. So I'm like, well, okay. Like, you know, like, a few months have passed, thought, you know, this wasn't going anywhere. But then when I just, just one person said, you know, Hey, I'd like to union. I'm like, okay, this this can happen. And so, like, I and a lot of the other track and like a lot of the other analysts and trackers, we start, you know, just creating like getting like reaching out to people, getting lists uh, of contact info. Uh, most again, this was all mostly online because, you know, it was still it wasn't the height of COVID, but it was like still like COVID shadow was still very very strong. I run into my, I sent like a Twitter DM to one of my other coworkers, Eve, saying, hey, uh, some of the trackers and I uh, were thinking of starting a union. What do you think? She's like, oh my God, I'm so glad you reached out to me because Reed and I have been discussing forming a union. We should totally merge. I'm like, yes, yes, we should. So like, again, this is all like, again, like this sort of shows like the trials and tribulations of trying to organize online. And And uh, let me ask you, Adam, you know, it sounds like you and your your colleagues. Um, it sounds like you felt pretty comfortable with talking to each other yes. about this. Uh, as you know, since you're in the labor sphere, I would say that that's pretty rare, right? Oh yes. Oh yeah. Um, and so tell me what was different, or tell me maybe what you all, as maybe being more experts in this space and having done it before, why didn't you feel afraid? Because most people when they start talking about a union with their colleagues uh, someone catches wind of it and quickly and starts to union bust and really say some nasty things about union and 
threaten people's jobs or threaten their hours, things like that. So what's different here? Well, a few things. One, uh, talking to when we finally decided to go with the teachers, our uh, organizer, Jesse Case, saying, like, you know, I love to organize campaign workers because a lot of them are just so they do organizing for their job so much. It's like we don't really have to do much. They just, you know, already know it's like just one push and off they go. Um, but other things that happened, and again, I bounced up with the D trip. It was a very atypical labor experience because, again, like it was not a for-profit corporation. It wasn't an uh, organization that was labor funded. And so, really what, wait, wait, wait. So, so they're not for profit, and you still organize them? Yeah, no, nonprofits can unionize. Wow. So, and and they're unionized right now. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. For state we're the largest bargaining unit. Yeah, we're the largest bargaining unit in the Democratic Party. And they still have money. The Democrats are still around. Is that right? Because I don't watch the news. I gave up on that shit a long time ago. But you're telling me the Democrats are still a party? Yeah, they're still a party. And look, one of the reasons we wanted to unionize was, again, like a lot of us, we like because of inflation and like pay wasn't really keeping up with the the, the, the cost of living. And like the teacher really had like a strong retention and recruiting crisis because, mm. you know, it was just hard to recruit people to do like, uh, you know, grueling campaign work when when like wages were keeping up with inflation. That being said, we saw that the Democrat, uh, the deep trip, we were out raising the Republicans and still raising ton a ton of money. So we thought, well, look, we have the resources to fix this uh, problem. Let's unionize and do something in the process, not only, you know, better, uh, better ourselves, but also better our party by making it much better for people to work there and by attracting the best talents. So we thought this was a win-win both for us and for our employer. What did your employee, you know, what what did your supervisors or bosses think after you, you know, cornered them and said, "Hey, we're we're gonna or we're here to unionize." It. It was funny since like um, let's see, so like when what of uh, when one of my uh, uh coworkers like like listening to like some of my bosses like strategize about like how to deal with um you know, the recruitment and pension crisis that was happening, like, in 2022, thinking, like, okay, how do we make it better to work here? Um, and, again, these were all well-meaning people, but, like, when you get stuck in a certain way of thinking, it can sometimes be, like, hard to sort of break out of it. It takes, like, a shock to really do so. So they're like, okay, uh, guest speakers, snacks, parties! And then when we finally unionize and start bargaining, we're like, oh, yeah, paying benefits. Yeah. We should have thought of that. Okay, let, let's fix that. You're right. So, particularly, again, since, like, as Democrats, we are the party of labor, so, like, a lot of them, at least, like, in theory and principle, were very, like, uh, open and supportive of, of us unionizing. In fact, um, really what happened, like, what was the uh, the main uh, signal to go for us to go to, to make this public was uh, Jesse said, like, sent us a message saying, uh, again, we went with the Teamsters, and uh, Jim Hoffa Jr. was still president then. So he said, like, oh, just got a message. Hoffa just called Pelosi. It's, it's it's a go. I'm like, wow, I would have loved to have been a fly on that wall. But uh, no, so like uh, in terms of like how they reacted, uh, again, like once we, again, like once like we, again, made our case, especially like in the fact that we thought this would be very helpful for the trip and very helpful for our party, we thought, you know, they, they uh, definitely were very understanding and we were able to arrive at a at a at a great contract that we think that addressed most uh, much of the problems we were trying to solve with our recruitment and retention crisis. And in fact, one thing that was very moving at the end of the campaign cycle 
particularly given, you know, we'd done better than expected, was that the day after the election, our boss, uh, the executive director of the DCCC at the time, Tim Persico, said, you know, and like he was like giving out a list of people he wanted to thank. And he said, lastly, I'd like to thank the union because when we were campaigning, it was uh, in upstate New York with uh, a rally for one of our candidates. He said, like one of the one of the attendees went to like, one of the D trip uh, field organizers. And he's like, oh wait, you're a teamster. So this was the first time we got to work with labor, not just as partners and as allies, but as members and as fellow workers. So uh, no, the only people who really gave us really gave us any pushback to unionizing, it was the uh, trolls or as. One person put the, the human boat shoes from the uh, National Republican Congressional Committee. Our, our... It's like when we announced on Twitter that we were unionizing, they just started like just bombarding us with like nasty Twitter messages, like, "Oh my God, you guys are gonna get, like, you guys are gonna go on strike!" Ha ha ha! Like, and then, so like after again, we did better than expected. Again, it wasn't we weren't able to hold the house, but we got like ninety percent of our targets. Uh, I sort of uh, wrote to him saying, hey, can we project these old tweets from when we unionized and just frame them? Because they're like, ha, you guys are going to get like, you're going to get uh, like uh, screwed so badly. And and let me ask you from, you know, from a timeline perspective, from the time that maybe you started chatting with your teammates about, hey, maybe we need a union to voting for a union. You know, how long did that take? Um... Like the process took, I would say, like definitely it took a few months. I would say, like once we finally again merged our efforts, like again, like when Reed and Eve and Ali and I like finally merged into sort of one unit, and then we finally selected, uh, chose the Teamsters because they had organized Biden's campaign, 2020 Deserve Go as our union. From that point onward, it took maybe about like one or two months. So like it went fairly quickly again because like. With just who's saying it's like, oh, with campaign workers, like they already know how to organize. So, mm -hmm. so what would you tell, you know, and I, and I love that story, Adam, because it, it, you know, there's a couple things that you said that I think are really important is, um, one of them is that you like your job, right? Yeah. This was not a, about, oh, I want to stick it to my boss. You know, my boss is a real meanie. I'm tired of them. Uh, you like your job. You liked working for them. You just thought things ought to be better, right? Yeah, and we thought that, again, like there were a number of issues we thought could be addressed, again, which was, first was like, again, like, to help with recruit, recruitment and retention, like we thought, you know, pay had to be competitive or stay, uh, like, keep track with the cost of living, especially since like in 2021 and 2022, inflation was, was so high. Plus, I mean, again, from like, I know like a lot of the trackers wanted more predictable schedules, particularly like on off years when it wasn't like the, the height of the campaign season. And one issue I think that was like particularly proud that you, you addressed was we found that from some of the Hispanic and Latino uh, work, uh, workers at the DTRIP that a lot of them, no matter their function, they were sort of being asked to serve as like volunteer translators for like campaign websites or literature, which, you know, that takes up a lot of time. So it was like cutting into their own work. Sure. So they said, like, one of the things that we asked for, like, in, and we got in, in, in our contract was the D-Trip either had to, you know, you either have to, like, hire someone to do translation full time. Or you have to, you know, pay, you know, workers who, like, volunteer to do it overtime. Seems fair, right? Yeah. 
And and I think that you bring a great whether you know, as you know, I'm trying to connect with hotel workers. Uh, that's my primary, you know, my primary background and base. But you said you talked about wages not going up with the cost of inflation, right? You mm-hmm. talked about schedules. You talked about benefits. Hotel workers face those same problems, right? And so I think it goes back to what you you were saying earlier. You know, there's always going to be the guy who writes that check and the people that don't. You know, you you either have the money, it's in your bank account, or it ain't. Mm -hmm. And that's true no matter where you go, right? And uh, it sounds to me like if you're not the person signing the checks, then in order to get some power or some say-so over what's happening at your workplace, you've got to organize. What do you think? Definitely. I mean, again, solidarity, it's such a power, it's such, it's such a powerful concept. The idea that we, you know, you all stand together and you all have each other's back. Because like, again, like for me, it's like, you know, as you know, I'm not Hispanic or Latino, but like I, you know, what's happening with, you know, the, you know, the language translation service wasn't you know, affecting me. But at the same time, it's like, as a union, we all have, we all just stand for each other. So like, whether like, so it was all about like, uh, so like you know, if we had our coworkers back, whether it was like to get compensation for language services, they would have our back for many of the other uh, demands that we were asking for, namely like uh, again like having paying benefits like keep up with the cost of inflation or at least reflect our other unionized political organizations or you know getting more predictable schedules for the trackers. Yeah, like, it was all about again coming together as one. And you you mentioned that you partnered up with the Teamsters. Uh, how did they help you? You know, once you got involved with them, what what did they bring to the table? Well, with the Teamsters, it was specifically Teamsters Local Two Three Eight, which is even though it's based out of Iowa, it because of the Iowa caucus, they organized Biden's campaign, and so they brought a wealth of knowledge about how to organize in a campaign context or in a political context. So. Again, like they, this was this is not like a you know the first rodeo. They they were very familiar with the industry, so they brought out like a wealth of again uh, knowledge and experience about you know what uh, a solid contract would look like for a campaign or political organization, and also like Jesse uh, again our our organizer. He said like he's like a lot of us were again because we loved our job. We we many of us like liked our supervisors. You know, so like a lot of us are sort of afraid to be like, you know, play bad cop or like tough guy. But he said, look, I don't know these people. They're not my friends. So if you ever need someone to be sort of to play bad cop, like to really sort of, you know, act as the tough guy, I I, I will do that. No, like I, I'll take the heat off you. So in that case, like they were sort of willing to lay down in front of us for that. So And and did it work? I mean, did you find that oh, yeah. help? I definitely, it definitely, I, it uh, definitely, I mean, again, we were able to negotiate to get a contract within like, uh, within a few months, like, uh, it goes like by like September and October of 2022. And plus again, with like Jesse, again, who's had to negotiate these, uh, contracts before, whether both for like, again, for Biden's campaign or for other campaigns, he sort of, again, like, he sort of, again, gave us strategic advice on what to do and what to say when going into bargain negotiations. So it's like sort of knowing when to hold, when to fold, to speak or sort of when. Well, did you get, so did you get wins with your contract? Did we you... did, we did. Yeah. We got, again, we got the we got the compensation for translation services. We got 
uh, I think like we got like around like a ten percent raise, at least. Like I can't remember the exact uh, the exact. No, but you you got items that you wanted, right? I mean, no, I just want to make yeah. sure that this because you know some people, Adam, they think about this process and they go, well, you know, I got to pick a fight with my boss. I got then got to you know it gets all hairy and and nasty, and they might think to themselves, well, is this worth it? And you know, I guess that's my question to you and to your your colleagues and friends that did this is, did you think it was worth it at the end? Absolutely, absolutely, because I mean, not not just for us, not that just you know we finally got some, a lot of us finally got some financial breathing room, but also the fact that as the you know as a national campaign organization, excuse me, we really set standards for for like how campaigns operate. We kind of, sort of operate as a like you know create like a, a sort of a floor for campaigns. Terms of like how much they should be paying for treating their uh, their workers, and so we thought that if we did this, we'd have like a ripple effect across the country with Democratic campaign by showing what how how particularly in like in house races where we oversaw which we oversaw like you know what was sort of considered good and decent for treating and compensating campaign workers, and what really I think made this all worth it for me was all the messages we got from former D trip staffers. Who are saying like, like whether on Twitter or social media, saying like, oh my God, like I, I like I so wish we had this when I was there. Like, why did we think of this? Like, this would have been so great when we were when we were there. Hearing that like outcry support from former D trip staffers was just, it really just frustrated all of it because it showed that we were not the only ones who had issues that we need to address. These a lot of them were sort of long running issues, and that we finally at least took a major step in addressing them as a union. You know, and I know I, I appreciate that because I think you're speaking really to sort of the idea that what you start here you know, has a lot of implications for the future. And I'm really glad that you you said that and that you all were yeah. brave enough to kind of do that. I, I know we're going to talk about some of the items that the you know the young Democrats are working on, but before I do that, I have one last question for you because you just did this organizing experience. You. You and your colleagues, and you all are like you said in your title. You're young, so you're not even my age. Um, you're not even the age of some of these folks in hotels. You, you're younger than us. If you could send a message to those workers who are maybe not as brave as you and your buddies were, at least at the beginning, and, and they might be afraid to talk with each other about organizing. They might be afraid of getting fired or getting their hours cut or being retaliated against. What would you tell them? Well, I will say, you know, unionizing is never easy. It's always going to take work. That being said, one, if you're having issues with your with your with your job or your boss, I guarantee you, you are not alone. I guarantee you that there are others who have similar experiences and similar issues that need to be addressed. And so, once you talk with your coworkers and find people who again are who i guarantee you are experiencing similar issues that you are once you stand together it becomes much more difficult one for your boss to try to you know fire or retaliate against all of you because again like if it's just one person they can dismiss it as oh that was just that one person was lazy they were the employer if if they try to like again like, retaliate against all of you then not only is it clear that you know the issue is systemic but they're also cutting into their own bottom line because, like, well, if, without like the the hard work put into by ordinary rank and file workers, these bosses would be nowhere. 
So also I would say like when you are organizing, definitely as we did with the Teamsters, find people in the labor movement who have been here before, who know the ropes, who you know, know the ins and outs of labor law and of negotiations and organizing because their wealth of experience can make can make a huge difference. They can tell you what, you know, how to do this safely, how to avoid potential pitfalls with your boss or with the late labor law. So again, it's not going to be easy, but if you stand together and find people who have a wealth of experience to share with you, it can at least be so I think it can, it can at least be easier. And again, just to be really clear, um, the Teamsters helped you do that, correct? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Teamsters Local Two Three Eight. That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, Adam, I know you had a few items you wanted to share with us about what the Young Democrats are up to. Tell me about that. Yeah. So just uh, I would say like a lot of what, a, a lot of what we do with the Young Democrats, at least the Labor Caucus, a lot of it is right now. Like, well, I mean, most recently we held like an event about the uh, strike going on in Hollywood with uh, the writers and uh, writers and actors. But what we're really trying to do is really try to strengthen the state level uh, Young Democrats Labor Caucuses because I mean, we could, there's only so much we can do at the national level. Like a lot of it is, uh, a lot of it is really done on the state and local level where people can connect with local labor activists and organizers who are really the ones who are doing the work and who are really pushing labor move forward. And so, like a lot of great work has been done, like in state uh, level labor caucuses, like. You know, the California Young Democrats Labor Caucus, they set up they set up like a labor solidarity fund to help support uh striking workers and unionization activities. In Virginia, we uh held like a unionizing one oh one session for uh young Democrats who are just like really interested to learn about you know what to do and how to unionize their, when they're trying to unionize their workplace. That's cool. Where did you do that? When did you do that? Well, uh there were two uh the first one was actually in twenty twenty when um, during the height of COVID, so it was virtual. The second one was at the convention in, so yeah, that was in 2022, yeah, in Alexandria. So that, that was an in-person. We invited uh, Katie Barrows, who at the time was the head of the nonprofit uh, Professional Employees Union, MPEU, and uh, one of the Starbucks uh, work, and one of the, like, Kat Wiggers, who was like one of the Starbucks workers in Richmond who was unionizing, and uh, delegate then delegate uh, Elizabeth Guzman, who in the Virginia House of Delegates really paved the way for public sector workers to get the right to, to right to collectively bargain. Also, she'd been like a, a union uh, worker herself, so she brought a, a great experience, a great wealth experience into that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. And so, so if somebody what, wants to get involved with that, you know, how do they do that? If you don't know where to do with that, so if anyone here is listening who wants to get involved with the Young Democrats and wants to form their own state labor caucus, you can email me at labor at yda.org. Again, that is labor at yda.org. If you email me, I can connect you with, again, like I can connect you with your state labor caucus if one exists in your state. Or I can connect you with your local your state YD chapters so you can help get that started. That's because great. Of, I, I, I love that. Uh, we link to your Facebook page. We'll make sure if you uh, – I'll put that in the notes, the email as well. I, I think that'd be, that'd be great. We always want to share uh, what our friends are up to. And, and I, I think it's fantastic that young people under 36 – I guess that's not me anymore. Uh, I have nowhere to go. Um, I think it's a, a wonderfully resurgent movement.
within the political space to really have a refocus and a new energy around labor. Oh, yeah. No, for me, it's like, again, like growing up, again, based on my family experience, like I was always passionate about labor. But look, when I was like, you know, younger in high school, like the mid to late 2000s, I was always considered sort of odd because I was interested in labor. It was seen as like, oh, labor, that's so yesterday. Like, oh, the unions are so obsolete. But now it's like, like now all of a sudden, like I was sort of like, I went from being sort of out of date to being ahead of my time. Yeah. There's a, you know, at the bar I hang out at in D.C., shout out to the, the Red Derby, 14th and Quincy. Uh, one of the bartenders there, he, I, I steal this line from him, but uh, I steal it from Joe. He says, history doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. Yes. And I think that that's so true. And that's why I loved that our chat began with the book of Exodus, which mm -hmm. you know, 5,000 some odd years ago, I don't know, something yeah, like the that. oldest labor story ever. It's the oldest labor story. It's the original one. And I got to tell you, as someone who's adopted and, uh, you know, I, I can I can resonate heavily with that. I feel like when um, you know, I'm not only adopted in real life, but this company that I tried to organize, you know, they brought me in. I was at the very tip top uh, hanging out with the young pharaoh and whatnot. We were <laughs> very close. And then, you know, just like Moses, I did something bad, had yeah. to um, run away for a Please. little bit. But my, my goal uh, maybe it's with the Teamsters, maybe it's with somebody else, but my my goal is, you know, I uh, talk to the burning bush and then I got to roll back, right? And, yes. uh, you know, you got to tell Pharaoh whether, like you said, whether it's Pharaoh or Caesar or whomever, um, mm -hmm. that will always be around. That will never yes. change. And it's always going to be up to somebody to say, you know, let my people go, right? I mean, this is, or else you're going to have to deal with 10 plagues or in your case, you're going to have to deal with Jimmy Hoffa and the Teamsters. I, I don't know. That sounds worse. I'd I'd, I'd take Locust. I mean, for Jim a, Hoffa. No, I I'm just, I I think listen. I think it's great when labor stands up in solidarity. Oh yeah. Um. There and, and that's the point too, right? No matter when in history you look at it, it's always solidarity or nothing. It, it, you you can mm -hmm. never enact any sort of change from the folks that hold access to the financial capital or the social capital or the political capital. Usually a mixture of all three unless you engage in organizing in solidarity, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, you know, that's really been what I what I saw with my family and their history, starting with the, as unionized teachers, carpenters, or furriers. And to me, it's like, I hope, like, again, I saw that impact from their work as labor activists from over a century ago and how, again, that, re that really had a ripple effect for my family and for me that and like in, in the present day. So I'm hoping like, again, by unionizing the D trip and still doing a lot of labor work, whether it's through, you know, the local YDs or other labor activist groups that I can pay that forward and have a similar ripple effect. Awesome. So, but again, I want to collect these stories. So as many folks as you, you have, or other, other friends in the space, the other reason I say that is because um, like I mentioned with Anna, you know, it's as important as it is to get people that are in unions or were in unions or organize themselves. Uh, one of the criticisms that often comes from union busters is, well, that person is a teamster. So they're going to get rich off of them, you being a teamster. And it's like, no, absolutely not. No. But it, believe it or not, it's a, it's a compelling argument. I don't know why it works, but, you know, uh, it works. There's good salesmanship is good salesmanship. A lot of it is like, again, like uh, old impressions from like, you know, on the waterfront or. Yeah. or yeah, absolutely. And so I that's why, I, again, I say 
not only diversity of faces and stories, but also allies. And mm -hmm. that's where I think it's very important to also, if you know people, and, and you sound super connected, all these campaigns and things you've worked on, to know people that simply are not in unions and go, listen, I'm not in a union, but I'm telling you, it can be and probably is the right thing for your workspace. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that, that helps too, to hear people that are sort of strangers or yeah. allies say, hey, this person isn't a, a teamster, they're getting no money from this, so... Yeah, you know, that argument doesn't work against that because yes. Anna just is a grad student or she's a student at Fordham. She has no reason to be here, you know, um, and that that's also equally powerful. So, again, friends of yours, uh, that's why I tried to drag. I'm going to get Father Tim on here one day. I promise to you um, yeah. to do that because I think the more and more people from the community that are part of this project is sharing those easy to understand stories like, oh, yeah, my family, they've always taught me that you have to do right by your community. Oh, yeah, my mm -hmm. colleagues and I, we liked our job, but we just knew something was wrong. Far more understandable and relatable. So please help, uh, help us get out there. Will do. Absolutely. A Adam, thank you again. I hope your wife had a great time at Mass this morning if she was there. Yeah. I, uh, I'll try to watch Father Tim's homily and the gospel today when they live stream it. Uh, they're great. And hopefully if I'm up in the D.C. area, I can uh, – connect with you guys in real life one time who knows absolutely absolutely awesome. well, great well thank you so much for reaching out to me and having me on adam thank you again for your time have a great rest of your weekend you too thank you bye